This is episode 35 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this podcast, I talk about Houdini's death-defying mystery, The Milk Can Escape. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, the home for all things magic history related. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 35, or day four of Houdini Week 2019. And before we begin, I've got some exciting news. Yes, exciting news. It's exciting to me. Um, And that news is this. We have passed the 5,000 download mark on the podcast. I think I've said it before in previous episodes, but I I, I find it fascinating that we've I've gotten this far. When I first began the podcast, I wasn't even sure that I you know would reach a hundred downloads, let alone five thousand. And now we've actually passed five thousand, and I'm confident that we're going to double that, maybe even triple that before we get to season three. And we got twelve months to work on it, so I think uh, it's a worthy. Um, a goal. Uh, to everyone who has listened to the podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's because of you that we've reached this 5,000 uh, download mark and we're still going strong. So once again, thank you. Now, today's feature is something different. Uh, first off, today is Halloween 2019, and we all know it's the anniversary of the day that Houdini died. It's also National Magic Day. If you were hoping for a podcast about Houdini's death, Well, actually, I've already done one. It's episode number six, which covers his last days. So you can go back and listen to that if you like. Today, however, though, I have chosen to take on one of Houdini's escapes and really kind of break it down. I'll give you some details you might not know and maybe some surprises along the way. I'm speaking specifically of the death-defying mystery, the Houdini Milk Can Escape. So let's begin. It was January 6, 1908. Houdini was starting a run at the Columbia Theater in St. Louis. He was doing his handcuff escape act, and the receipts were no longer what they once were. With so many imitators and ripoff artists out there, audiences had grown tired of seeing this kind of act. Even though Houdini was the one who made it famous, now he was facing a crossroads in his career. The manager of the theater called Houdini into his office and basically gave him a thrashing about the low attendance. I believe he said something like, your act is not worth a $5 bill. And this is what Houdini was facing in January of 1908. So what did he do? Well, he brings out what he calls the best thing he has ever invented. That invention was the milk can escape. The newspaper ads promoting the escape often referred to it as the galvanized iron can filled with water, and clearly Houdini referred to it that way as well. The debut of the Milk Can Escape took place at the Columbia Theater in St. Louis on January 27, 1908. The Columbia Theater in St. Louis was located on uh, 421 North 6th Street. The old Columbia, where Houdini performed, was built prior to 1899 and was actually torn down in 1925, Today, there's an office building and a mall on that location. It's called One City Center. After theater manager Tate told Houdini his act was basically worthless, Houdini came back with the milk can. Uh, 
Houdini had been working on the can for some time. In fact, he even gave a private presentation for his wife, Bess, who thought the trick was great. The Kellogg biography goes on to say that Houdini offered her $10 if she could figure out the secret. She did not. The opening night of this performance in St. Louis, all the press was invited to witness Houdini's latest invention. However, no one from the press showed up. This was a pivotal moment in Houdini's career, and no one was there to record it. The St. Louis Globe-Democrat newspaper, January 28, 1908, did feature a small write-up. Here is the first-ever report of Houdini's milk can escape. Houdini introduced a new feat at the Columbia yesterday and made his audience thoroughly uncomfortable for the space of two or three minutes. He exhibits a galvanized iron vessel, shaped like an old-fashioned milk can, which is said to be airtight. This he fills with water, and when men have grouped about him, ready to apply the locks to the lid from the outside, he climbs into the vessel and is locked in. A curtain is drawn for a few minutes, and then, perhaps to the surprise of nearly all who witnessed the trick, he emerges unharmed. One is unable to think of a solution of the trick, and it certainly is a test of endurance. Now, having read this report, it strikes me that it sounds more like a press release than an actual reporting of an event. It's very short, but concise. It has all the facts you'd want presented. As we know, no press attended the event, so I assume that this came from Houdini. And this was kind of confirmed via the Silverman book on Houdini, where Houdini talks about the milk can in his own words, and he's using the exact phrases that are in that, uh, that previous paragraph. Now let's examine the presentation for the milk can. I, I've always been a little skeptical of some of the dramatic presentations I'd seen in the movies of Houdini's milk can. However, as it turns out, some of them are fairly accurate. My sources are newspaper articles that spell out quite vividly the presentation, and also the book Houdini, His Life and Art by James Randi and Burt Randolph Sugar. Randi's description comes directly from Fred Keating, who was a first-hand witness to Houdini's presentation. So here's what Houdini would do. First, he would introduce his death-defying mystery. In the early days, it was the escape from a galvanized iron can. The curtain opened, and there was a large galvanized can sitting center stage. His assistants were wearing rain slickers and rubber boots. A committee from the audience was invited up to inspect the can. As they looked over every part of the can, Houdini's assistants would fill the can with 22 pails of water. Houdini then stepped back onto the stage. He was now wearing a bathing suit. He entered the can through the circular opening in the top, and he addressed the audience and challenged them to hold their breath for as long as he did. The moment my head goes below the water, try and hold your breath with me, Houdini said. And then he crouched down into the can and below the surface of the water. As he went down, water gushed out of the can. He stayed below the water for ten seconds. 20 seconds, 30 seconds, now members of the audience were losing their ability to hold their breath, 40 seconds, 50 seconds, 60 seconds, 1 minute 10. By the time Houdini burst out of the water, no one was holding their breath anymore. 
but almost instantly Houdini again dropped below the surface of the water. His assistants poured more water on top of him to replace the water that had gushed out. Then quickly they clamped the lid onto the milk can. They attached six padlocks. A curtain fell over the can. And then the audience heard this. The largest stopwatch anyone had ever seen was ticking away next to the curtain cabinet. One of the assistants entered the stage holding an axe. The tension increased. Houdini had now been under the water longer than he was before. The man with the axe stood ready to break Houdini out if need be. The audience would begin to panic. Suddenly the curtains began to shudder but then stopped. A few moments later they moved again and then Houdini burst forth. At the same time, the curtain went up showing the cans, still locked exactly as it had been only a few minutes before, except that Houdini was now free. Oddly, some accounts written up in newspapers say that the lid was soldered on and then locked. The Kellogg biography says that a dozen locks were put on. The, there were not a dozen locks. There were six. And the lid was not soldered on, ever. The Kellogg bio does say Houdini rehearsed for months with the can, and that I actually believe. It's not often discussed, but the milk can, though not as grand as, say, the water torture cell, still holds a great deal of danger. You become aware of the danger early on when you're trying to learn it. First, given the shape of the can, your body, as it's inside the can, is in a very uncomfortable position. Your knees are up against your chest. Your shoulders crushed against the inside of the can in an awkward position. You have to tilt your head and neck in such a way so that they can close the lid. And once that lid gets closed, you're in total darkness. There is no light to be had. You're underwater holding your breath. You can't hear or see anything. Actually, as far as hearing, you can make out taps or scrapes on the can, but that's about all. And those taps are important because your assistants need to cue you on when to begin the escape. There doesn't seem to have been a way for the performer to signal the outside assistance if help was needed. So again, this is a very dangerous routine. Here are some details you might not be aware of. The venue, the theater, was required to provide... 80 gallons of lukewarm water for each performance. A large tarp was laid over the stage. A small one-foot-by-one-foot one square hole was cut into the stage with a barrel directly underneath it. Why? Because at the end of every performance of the milk can, the water was poured right out onto the stage, and it, it actually ran down into that stage trap and dumped into the barrel below the stage. Also, the committee of gentlemen who were brought up to examine the milk can were given chairs on which to sit, so they actually stayed up there on stage while all of this took place. And Houdini provided his own locks for the milk can, but he also accepted anyone's locks if they brought them to the show. 
A unique presentational twist that he would sometimes do uh, was after he escaped, he would unlock all the locks before revealing himself. But whether they were locked or unlocked, it didn't seem to solve just how he was able to reach the locks from the inside and get free. The bit with the man and the axe, though that may seem like good theater, actually it was more of an example of an onstage safety man. If something went wrong, the fastest way to drain the can would be to hit it so that it would cut a hole in the can and release the water. This very thing happened to Houdini's brother Hardeen when he passed out while performing the milk can. The axe was used to uh, cut a hole in the can and release the water while they were undoing the locks and got him out safely. Strangely, as Houdini continues into 1908, he does not feature his milk can at every venue. A short time after debuting the milk can to great success in St. Louis, he was in Cleveland, Ohio, and Houdini wrote in his diary, Arrived in Cleveland at 7 o'clock. Am not featured. Is this the first step towards oblivion? No attention paid to me. I wondered why Houdini didn't start featuring his milk can everywhere. I wondered if maybe it had something to do with the weight of the can on those old rickety stages. Was that something? But I don't know. The water torture cell, when they introduced that, often they would have to place supports underneath the stage to uh, you know to hold it up. But I don't think the weight of the can... Well, obviously, it wasn't anything compared to the water torture cell. Um, it could have been the conditions of the routine, the fact that there were 80 gallons of water that would be dumped right out onto the stage. Uh, they had to cut a hole in the stage, all this. That could have had something to do with the fact he wasn't performing it everywhere. Or it could be that he was performing it everywhere, and it just wasn't getting covered in the press. That's a possibility as well. He started presenting the milk can on January 27, 1908. By March 20th, he had his first challenge with the can. This time from the Edward E. Reich Milk Company out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But this wasn't going to be his last challenge. Over time, he used the milk can as a challenge, having it filled with water, milk, beer, you name it. One interesting fact is that Houdini only presented the milk can for a few months before he was off to Europe. And while he was away, he gave permission to Leonard Hicks to present the milk can in his absence. In England, in 1911, Houdini apparently ran into trouble. He allowed the Tetley Brewery to fill the can with beer. The claim was that he was overcome by the fumes from the alcohol and passed out and had to be unlocked and removed from the can. According to the book Houdini the Key by Pat Culleton, Houdini did have another close call. He was challenged to escape from the milk can while it was filled with scotch whiskey by a distillery. He was overcome by the fumes and almost fainted. Hmm. Which was it? Was it the beer? Was it the whiskey? Was it both incidents? I wonder if it was the fumes that overtook Houdini or the fact that he's submerged in alcohol and the skin is absorbing this and maybe that had something to do with it. Um, or maybe it was just a good story to, to promote the act. I, I don't know. I say that because of this. In 1911, in Columbus, Ohio, he did the same stunt. A can filled with beer, except 
This time, the can was placed inside a wooden container, and he still escaped with no problem. Then there was this. On April 18, 1916, Houdini was at Keith's Theater in Washington, D.C. The challenge came from the employees of the Abner and Drury's Brewery. In the article, they referred to a device as a large cask, but again, the description is clearly the milk can. Houdini escaped in two minutes. The Washington Times article finishes with this line. In exactly two minutes, he was out of the cabinet, wasting a lot of good beer that dripped from his body. Over time, the milk can, like the Handcuff Escape Act, got ripped off by other performers. So Houdini upped the ante. He had a wooden crate constructed that the milk can could go into. While it was inside this wooden crate, the milk can was filled with water. He would be placed inside this. The lid of the can was locked in place. Then a wooden top was placed over the can, locking that in place. He called this the double-fold death-defying mystery. We do know that the failure means a drowning death concept was a huge hit for Houdini, as he continued to use the milk can escape as his closer until 1912. In 1912, he would present for the first time another new invention, combining elements of his water escapes and upside-down outdoor straitjacket escapes. This was called the water torture cell. Though the water torture cell was more spectacular, Houdini actually did continue to perform the milk can escape, just in a different capacity. So while the water torture cell took over as the closer, the milk can moved into the spot of challenge escape. Perhaps he referred to the device as different things, such as the uh, galvanized can with water, or the uh, large iron cask escape, or the milk can escape. And in this case, Hardin, uh, Houdini's brother, the milk can remained a staple of his act well into his late 60s. Patrick Culleton's book, Houdini the Key, reveals that Houdini did not invent the milk can escape. It was actually invented by a man named Montreville Wood. This fact also was pointed out in the Kalush biography as well. Wood pitched the idea to Houdini, and they apparently discussed it for a while in letters. Mr. Wood eventually developed eight different ways to escape from the milk can. I wonder what they were. Actually, they are listed in a patent that Houdini applied for in September of 1908. Interestingly, none of the Houdini milk cans featured the straps that are prominent in the milk can poster. However, a method of using straps was one that was listed in the 1908 patent. Who was Montreville Wood? Well, he was an inventor, a scientist, a lecturer, and a magic enthusiast. He was an associate of Thomas Edison and was the district engineer for the Edison Company on the Pacific Coast. He was also the aerial postmaster for Chicago. During his lectures, he would demonstrate how gyroscopes could be used in airplanes and in monorail cars. He begins with offering an audience member a chance to wrestle the gyroscope. If you recall your magic history, P.T. Selbit had a routine he called the Mighty Cheese, which was essentially a hidden gyroscope that could not be pushed over, no matter how hard you tried. This demonstration was part of Wood's talk on the gyroscope. He also gave a demonstration of ultraviolet rays and explained the different ways it could be used, including the treatment of diseases. 
Wood's association with Edison is interesting. In fact, he very much resembles Thomas Edison. Among his nearly 100 inventions was the two-button electric switch. This was the common household electric switch prior to the more modern lever switch that we're familiar with today. Among Wood's contributions to magic were a mechanical card rise, a spirit hand and skull, Houdini's iron box escape, and the milk can escape. Now let's look at the cans. How many milk cans were there? Well, this is anybody's guess. I've discovered several, so I'm going to talk about some of them. The earliest one, and this is uh, where several people that I've read, Walter Gibson in particular, thinks this is the origin of the milk can escape, came from an escape from a milk churn. And he believes that this was the inspiration for the milk can. There's a very small milk can that I believe was a prototype of the uh, eventual milk can. I saw it for sale on eBay and later in another online auction. I think it's too small for a person to get inside though. So again, I think it was just a prototype. There is the Copperfield milk can. This milk can came from the Sid Radner auction. It has uh, the identical shape that can be seen in pictures of Houdini inside the milk can. The only thing that's different are it's missing the upper handles. I believe that this was on display at the uh, Houdini exhibit in Appleton, Wisconsin at one time. And this is also the can that the Amazing Randy would borrow from time to time to escape from. The Lund milk can. This is the can that's on display at the American Museum of Magic. It's also the can that was on display during the Magic Science and Wonder exhibit in Houston, Texas, and was also on display at the Houdini Art and Magic exhibit in New York City. Next, we have the Bell milk can. This is shown on page 448 of Houdini the Key by Patrick Culleton. This milk can is owned by collector Randall Bell and was originally found in the basement of Houdini's home on 278 West 113th Street. Uh, This is an unusual shaped can, uh, mainly because of the uh, the shoulder uh, and the way it's sloped. It's a very unusual looking can. Next, we have the double-fold death-defying mystery that I mentioned earlier. Apparently, escaping from a water-filled can wasn't good enough for audiences. Houdini knew he had to improve the milk can because it was getting copied by others, so he added the wooden crate that the milk can could go into. The can with Houdini inside would be sealed, and then the lid of the crate would go onto that and everything locked up. Houdini featured this at Hammerstein's Victoria in New York for two weeks. I get the impression that he used this only on special occasions or with challenges. The double-fold escape was thought to be lost for years, but in 2014 it turned up in an auction and sold for a whopping $55,000 and now belongs to David Copperfield. However, it's just the crate, not the can. The milk can for the double-fold death-defying mystery? Hmm... Well, oddly, this can is not in a magic collection, nor in a museum. It's on display at the Wilshire Coin and Jewelry in Santa Monica, California. And this discovery was made by John Cox and featured on his wildabouthoudini.com blog. Sadly, the original lid for this milk can is gone and was replaced by one that 
well, makes the can look very different. But there are things on the can that are telltale signs that this was the can that was in the double fold mystery. Uh, specifically, there's a an odd lock that's on the side of the can that is just, it's, it's not on any of the other milk cans. It's only on this one. And you can see it in pictures of the double fold mystery. So it's clearly this is the can that belongs with that. If you want to see pictures of it, I encourage you to go to uh, wildabouthoudini.com and look up, uh, do a search for milk can, and you should be able to see it. Uh, it's uh, very, uh, very, very interesting, and kudos to John for finding that. Next, we have the Hicks can. Um, this may or may not exist. Uh, Leonard Hicks was Houdini's protege from 1908 to 1909, he was performing the milk can escape while Houdini was over in Europe. I don't know if that is one of the cans that uh, still exists today or if he kept the can and uh, it's out there somewhere today. Don't know. Have no idea. So, uh, don't know. It's an interesting thought, though, you know. Then there's one more can. It's the Tim Moore can, and I believe Tim owns Hardeen's can. Uh, I recently listened to an interview with Tim, and apparently at one time his can and the Lund can were both owned by a fellow named Martin Sunshine, and then later when Martin sold them, he sold them separately. But uh, I believe that is Hardeen's can, and you can actually match that can up against photos of Hardeen. Uh, interestingly, that can passed my way a number of years ago. The fellow that owned it contacted me along with photos, and uh, I was just beside myself excited, but I didn't have the, the kind of money he wanted for the can, unfortunately. I wish I did. Uh, finally, we come to the actual Houdini milk can, the one that when you look at pictures of Houdini inside the milk can, it's that one. It's the one with the handles on that are higher up. That can is missing today. We don't know where that one is. Uh, whether or not it's still out there, nobody knows. Now, I do know that because of the way the can was designed, Houdini decided to uh, have another can built and have the handles moved lower on the, uh, the milk can. His assumption was that a, a devious spectator could come along and take a pair of handcuffs and connect it to the, uh, the handle and then to the lid. There would be no way for him to escape. So that's why in later models, the handles are moved down to the side of the can. For some reason, this seems to be one of the Houdini effects that gets exposed online and in books and even in movies. But only one method is ever exposed, and, and Houdini had potentially eight different methods, potentially. He likely didn't use eight methods, but Walter Gibson suggests that Houdini used at least two or more methods over time. Houdini even had plans of being put into a can and having that can turned over and placed inside another can. This would certainly change the methodology for sure. Now, I'm sure you've heard the stories of how irate Houdini would become over other people that did escapes. There's a story about Houdini not speaking to the great Raymond for several years because Raymond bought a milk can without asking Houdini. By the way, you can learn more about the Great Raymond on episode 29 of the podcast. 
What's odd about Houdini is he encouraged Leonard Hicks to go into escapes and even gave him permission to do his act. In the 1920s, when Houdini was promoting his movies, he hired an escape artist named Janesta to do shows. After Houdini died, Janesta added a milk can of sorts to his act. One night, the show was uh, late to arrive at their venue, and in a rush to set up the show, the milk can was dropped and dented. No one noticed. That evening, Janesta got into the water-filled can, like he had done many times before, and the lid was locked on with borrowed locks. Notice that borrowed locks. So every lock had a different key. When the signal was given for Janesta to escape, he found he was unable. At some point, the crew realized there was a problem. Frantically, they began to try and unlock the locks, but they got the keys all switched up. When they finally opened the can, Janesta had drowned. No man with an axe was there to save him. I share this story because this, these kind of escapes have a legendary quality to them. They are often, and usually are, potentially very dangerous. No one should attempt these things carelessly. I have many stories of near-death escape stories. Um, I have stories of escape artists who have died trying to do escapes. All for a little publicity or for a few minutes of fleeting fame. Just be warned, escapes are not for everyone, and they are dangerous. I hope you've enjoyed this expose on the milk can. I actually have a lot more I wanted to cover, a lot more, but some of the areas go into methodology and secrets of the can that are not well known, and unfortunately I don't give away secrets on this podcast. I wish I did because, man, there is some really cool stuff that I found. Still, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, this episode. If you did, please remember to like, share, and follow uh, the podcast. I'd appreciate that. My name is Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. I will be back tomorrow with one more episode for Houdini Week 2019. Tomorrow's episode is called In Houdini's Words. Until then, happy Halloween and have a great day.